This is The Guardian. Brought to you by Lexus. Some things do more than their stated functions. Because exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. To this select list, we add the all-new Lexus GX. With its exceptional capability, you'll see possibilities you never knew existed, sending you far outside your comfort zone. But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Last week, the government announced that all children aged 5 to 11 in England will be offered a COVID vaccine following advice from the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. They will get two jabs of Pfizer-BioNTech, each dose a third smaller than for adults, with the second jab 12 weeks after the first. The JCVI's recommendation is for a non-urgent offer of the vaccine, and questions have been raised as to whether or not children this young need vaccinating, given the relatively low risk of severe COVID disease in the age group. The vaccine is safe and effective. Second of all, it is something that's there as an option for parents and they should decide for themselves whether it's an offer that they want to take up. With lots of competing factors to weigh up, it can be a difficult decision for parents to make. So what's the evidence for vaccinating young children against COVID? And how can parents decide what to do? From The Guardian, I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. My name's Adam Finn. I'm Professor of Paediatrics at the University of Bristol. I'm a member of the UK JCVI and also chair of the European Technical Advisory Group of Experts on Immunisation of the World Health Organisation. What exactly are the latest recommendations from the JCVI relating to COVID vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds? The latest recommendations relate to healthy 5 to 11-year-olds. We previously recommended that children with underlying health problems that make them more likely to get severe COVID receive the vaccine. That was back at the end of last year. The current recommendations uh, is a non-urgent offer of to 10 microgram doses, which is a smaller dose of the vaccine, of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, to be made to children between the ages of 5 and 11 years who aren't at clinical risk. Why does it take longer to arrive at a recommendation for vaccinating children compared with adults? Well, I 
guess the recommendation where it was clear for the children with clinical risk factors was made almost immediately. Once you get on to groups of individuals who are at low risk of severe disease, you do really need to consider very carefully the balance of risk and benefit. And that shouldn't be rushed because I think above all else, when it comes to vaccination, you want to know that you are doing more good than harm. The JCVI decided that the evidence falls on the side of benefit in favour of vaccinating this age group, the healthy 5 to 11 year olds. It'd be good to talk through some of the sort of pros and cons that the committee needed to consider. I guess the first one would be whether vaccines for these healthy 5 to 11 year olds reduce the severity of COVID symptoms. The best evidence we have is from a trial that was done by Pfizer looking at this age group, and it shows unequivocally that the vaccine does eliminate the risk of severe disease and indeed of symptomatic disease, uh, at least in the short term. So we have good evidence, at least from the pre-Omicron era, that the vaccine works in this age group. And of course, that trial will also have looked at safety as well. In the last week of January this year, more than one in eight primary school children in England were infected with COVID. And I think that's the highest prevalence for any age group we've seen at any stage in the pandemic. Would vaccinating this age group, the 5 to 11-year-olds, curb the spread of COVID in schools? Yes, that's a really important question, Ian, because uh, back last summer when we were considering whether to offer vaccination to adolescent children, that was the argument that really carried the day in the end. The chief medical officer's felt that the vaccine should be offered because of the potential to reduce the disruption to education in that age group. What we've learned subsequently, and particularly with the emergence of the Omicron variant, is that the capacity of the vaccine to reduce mild infection and onward transmission is not that great. So by the time we got to discussing 5 to 11-year-olds, Uh, it had become quite clear that we had to set that argument aside. It really can't be expected to have any impact on transmission within the uh, school and from children to their parents and families and others. And are there any vaccine side effects in children? Yes, there certainly are side effects. This vaccine causes side effects in all age groups. We see headaches, malaise, fevers, feeling unwell for a day, possibly a couple of days, in at least 10, maybe upwards of 10% of recipients. The lower dose that's given to children as compared to adults makes that slightly better, but they do occur and that can't be set aside. It's part of the consideration. In terms of severe side effects, the one that we've identified that is of concern relates to inflammation of the heart, so-called myocarditis and pericarditis. This is extremely rare in younger children. We now have experience from the United States in millions of children, and these, are, these cases are very few and far between, but they do occur, and we don't yet know what the long-term implications of those changes in the heart in those very small number of children might be. What about long COVID in kids? That must be a concern for many parents out there. Could the vaccine help reduce the risk of that? Yeah, this is another really important question, Ian, and there's a lot about long COVID out there. There are a small number of children with COVID who are getting symptoms, and overall it seems to be a much less severe, much less common 
and much less long-lasting problem than is being described in adults. Now, whether the vaccine will prevent that, I think we can assume that the vaccine will, to some extent, prevent the infection, and therefore, in as much as the infection can cause long COVID, it should be beneficial. But the size of that benefit may be quite modest. We know that throughout the pandemic, a very small percentage of children have been hospitalised after COVID with something called paediatric multisystem inflammatory syndrome, otherwise known as PIMS-TS. And I'm wondering if this could be mitigated by the vaccines too. We have one good study uh, from the United States done last year, so pre-Omicron in the Alpha Delta period, which did show that children who were immunised had a reduced risk of PIMS-TS. So there is evidence that this would be a benefit. On the other hand, we've more recently come across a number of cases of children with PIMS-TS who had received vaccine and then had gone on to develop Omicron infection. Now, this is a very rare problem. The vaccine is probably going to do something to reduce the risk, but it does look as though it wouldn't eliminate it entirely. Now, we know Omicron has been this incredibly transmissible variant, but it hasn't been so dangerous in terms of the numbers of the percentage of people it's been putting in hospital. We don't know what future variants will be like, though. And I'm wondering if these vaccines in this age group could potentially protect these children against what may be coming in the future, months down the line. Yes, that's exactly the thinking behind this offer. In other words, we don't really expect the vaccine offer, which is likely to be being rolled out around Easter time, to have any impact on the current Omicron wave, which is coming to an end. And as you said before, very large proportion of children of this age have actually now had either Omicron or previous variant infection. But we all have to be aware of the possibility of future waves of infection. And the thinking behind this offer is that that may offer some additional protection, at least for a time, against a future wave that might come through and cause children to get sick. There's a lot to take in here, isn't there? The evidence for and against and all the other considerations that parents will be making. And the recommendation isn't as strong as it has been for adult groups. Ultimately, obviously, it's going to be the parents who will decide on this. But how will the vaccine actually be offered to young children? So the best way to get vaccines into children of school age is to do a school-based programme. And we've got a number of these in operation already for influenza, for HPV, for meningococcal infection. But in this case, a school-based program in primary schools would take up an enormous amount of time and resource. And we're concerned that doing that would actually impact adversely on other vaccine programs, which are very important and which need to be maintained and have suffered during the pandemic. For that reason, therefore, the offer is likely to be delivered through primary care, maybe through vaccine centres if they're still operating. So parents will have to take their children to those centres in order to get the vaccination done. And how do you expect the rollout to go? Uh, Well, I guess we'll have to see. But in this case, uh, the risk and benefit balance is quite tight, not because the risks of the vaccine are high, but because the risks of the disease is really very low. 
And so we'll just have to see how many parents want to have their children immunized and make the vaccine available to those people, but without putting any undue pressure on people to have their children immunized if they uh, feel that they don't want to go forward with that. So parents will be thinking about this at the moment, and I'm wondering what questions they should really be asking themselves if they're not sure yet whether they want to go for the vaccination or not for their child. For people who really don't know, that they've really got to weigh up whether they feel that they are anxious to avoid those small risks of serious illness, or whether they're more concerned about the side effects of children potentially having a day or two off school, feeling unwell after the vaccination, or the extremely small risk of heart problems that does come with this vaccine. I suspect from past experience that many people will make their decision by proxy in a sense. They'll talk to their friends, their neighbours, others, and they'll kind of come to a consensus about what they all want to do. Adam, huge thanks for joining us. Really good to have you explain all of this to us. It's a, a great help. Not at all, Ian. It's always a pleasure. Thanks again to Adam Finn. We put a link to evidence for COVID-19 vaccinations for 5 to 11-year-olds published by the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation on our podcast webpage at theguardian.com. So do head there if you'd like to read more. Now, there's never a quiet time in politics, but it feels like increasingly there's so much to talk about, which is why we're changing up our podcast, Politics Weekly. Now you can enjoy the best Guardian political reporting in two new podcasts, Join award-winning Guardian columnist John Harris and a cast of voices from up and down the country, as well as across the political spectrum, on Politics Weekly UK, which is out every Thursday, and the first episode is out today. Plus, you can continue to get the latest analysis of US politics with Guardian columnist and former Washington correspondent Jonathan Friedland with Politics Weekly America every Friday, starting from tomorrow. Search for Politics Weekly UK and Politics Weekly America on your preferred podcast app. And that's it from us today. The producer was George Cooper, the sound design was by Solomon King, and the executive producer was Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson, Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.